0: Well, welcome to the Huntback Country Podcast. This is a Monday Minute episode where we answer your listener questions. Normally, it is Steve and I, uh, I being Mark. But today, we got Cody Kellum on the line from Born and Raised Outdoors. Uh, Steve is off vacationing with the fam. And literally last minute, I was like, hey, Cody, can you hop on here and answer some elk questions? Uh, and thankfully, you obliged. So good to have you, man. Yeah.
1: Anything, everything elk, anytime, I'm down
0: yeah and speaking of anything everything elk it this literally was not planned but you guys are launching elk week today uh this afternoon after this podcast will be coming out so tell us what that is
1: so kind of i mean we were we were sitting here brainstorming like man we've got all this idea about elk and you know that it's like every year after fourth of july all of a sudden it's like the fast forward button is like cranking and the days are flying off the counter, and elk season is like upon us so we're like well, let's make some more stuff to just hit that super fast forward and (laughs) accelerate the excitement. So, yeah, I mean, it's cool. We got five videos every day. We're going to drop a video at 4 p.m. Start off with calling, kind of go through like our take on calling and what we try to, uh, not for stage calling, but like calling real out. And then we've got a gear dump going through the XO, doing a bag dump. And then Trent does a pickup like day camp or, you know, a base camp types dump. And then we've got shot angles kind of like broadside, perfect shot to the controversial frontal quarter two type shot, um, all all in between. Um, then we go into the do's and don'ts. And this is just like, do this, don't do that type. Uh, (laughs) like we've made every mistake in the book hunting elk. So if we can eliminate those for somebody, like we want to pass that on. And then, um, the last one is 20 bulls, 20 minutes long, just smash fest of bulls coming in <laughs> screaming and getting shot. So. Oh, dude. But it, it, actually the big thing about this is like next year during Elk Week, we want to highlight other filmmakers. So it's like mm. we're basically going to try to like get people to send us their edit of their hunt. And uh, we're going to pick some videos to play next year during Elk Week and kind of get a fan-fueled um, content week. So
0: yeah, that'd be great. Well, there's a landing page, uh, on your website for all that, for all of the elk week content. And we'll put that in the show description. Uh, again, if you guys are hearing this the morning, it comes out, uh, everything's launching essentially that afternoon that, um, that Monday. And then obviously you guys can hit subscribe and get all the videos on the YouTube channel and all that stuff. So Today with you, Cody, it is all things elk. We have a ton of questions from the podcast audience that have been coming in really over the last handful of months uh, since we launched SpeakPipe, which is where listeners can go and leave us a message and ask us a question. Um, And so I just pulled a bunch of elk questions out to, to throw them at you. And they really cover a bunch of different topics elk hunting wise but this first one's about optics for archery elk um which is something kind of that even applies to my hunting plans this year a bit differently but let's go ahead and hear this question
2: hey good morning guys first off really appreciate the podcast very valuable and helpful information my question is around optics i'm working on trying to get my optics dialed in specifically for archery elk hunting in the backcountry and been struggling to figure out uh, what I should utilize. I've tried a number of different spotting scopes and also uh, higher power binoculars uh, to accompany um, my smaller magnification binoculars, um, trying to balance weight and being able to spend time behind glass and really struggling to, to put together a pair. So I guess I was curious if you guys just utilize a, a lower powered set of binoculars on a tripod if you're carrying both uh lower powered set and a higher power set of binoculars, a spotting scope, um, all of the above, or what your guys' strategy is um, in this scenario. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it.
0: All right, Cody. So, for my personal experience, elk hunting optics um, is super hit and miss, meaning sometimes I don't use them at all, and sometimes they're incredibly critical, obviously, depending on uh, primarily the type of terrain that I'm hunting. Um, So there's been there's been hunts where for days I've never even touched my binos. And then there's been hunts where I will sit down and spend a ton of time behind glass. So maybe talk through um some of those scenarios, some of your experience or what maybe what what your general go-to optic setup is for most hunts. Um, and then we can dive into a little bit of uh a little bit of distinctions he was asking about on low power, high power, et cetera.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a great question. Um it's interesting depending on your hunting style it's going to really drive like what you feel comfortable with um case in point when brady miller came on his first elk hunt with trent he had a pair of fixed power i think he had like 10 power binos on his chest a pair of 15 by 56s and a spotting scope going in hunting the timber at wyoming and like on day two he's like this is ridiculous because that's his i mean because he's a mule deer guy right so like you spend and especially deer, you're really trying to analyze, like, is that a good buck? Like what's his frame from long distance? Honestly, for me, I like the six hour Zulu sixes, the image stabilized binoculars change like what you would have to carry. Like if you Mm -hmm. wanted, so they make a 10 power and a 16, like that 16 power, surprisingly in the timber, low, uh, um, like offhand, super stable. Like you can see well. if if you're going to be in an area that you're going to be glassing a long ways away, like elk are pretty easy to spot. It's not, you're not picking apart a bedded buck in the shade. Like what is that? It's like, Oh, there's a yellow ass over there. I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's an elk. Oh, he's got a good frame. Like that's a shooter. (laughs) Let's go. go. Um, So I would discourage someone carrying a spotting scope for the most part. Um, And if you don't, then you can eliminate a tripod if you go to like that image stabilization. So, mm-hmm. my personal choice during archery season is the Zulu 610 powers. They're like in the timber like close range you can still hold that thing super still. Um and then if you're glassing a mile away, you you can sit down literally with it. You don't even need a trekking pole for the most part. I like to just because then I like can systematically grid because if I freehand then I get this like I'm up here, down there, over there like least on a monopod or on a trekking pole you can like systematically pick stuff apart yeah um but yeah i i would say that image stabilization kind of changed the whole game of like how i would approach that where you don't need two two or three optics you can pick one and go to it and that the all-round i think that 16 power is unbelievable
0: Mm -hmm. you even like in closer um in timber you mentioned even with that 16 you still feel like you have a decent field of view
1: for sure yeah it's it's definitely tighter yeah but it you know it it definitely works and spec steve can attest to this like when we were in kodiak last year he had his he had his el ranges that i think they're 10 power ten,
0: uh well he has 10s and eights and he's stuck with eights but he may have had 10s on that hunt because he was testing yeah. both.
1: yeah yeah and the buck that i shot we spotted and i'm like it's a three point he's like no it's not i'm like yeah dude that's a three-point he's like dude you cannot tell if that's a three-point Like here and i handed him to him and he's just like holy shit Yeah, (laughs) there's no way like anyways like the the glass definitely is not as clear but like the image stabilization takes out so much uh and just makes appears clearer because you don't have that vibration wind shake anything like that so
0: yeah Cool. I literally was going to ask you about those. Cause I know you've used them a bunch, Steve and I've used them a bit and still have like gone back and forth on what's their place. But I was thinking that exact same thing. I was curious to hear what you said and you brought it up before I asked. So it's cool to hear that those are your go-to.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's one of those, like, if you're going on a meal deer hunt to have a spawn scope is definitely uh, something, but for elk, like I said, it's like most of the time there's a herd you can identify, you know, it's like they're even two, three miles away. It's like, yep, there's elk. Let's go over that way. You
0: know? So. And even, yeah, I mean, it's how much time are you spending behind your glass? Cause I know for you, Cody, it's like, even if you are sitting and glassing on that trucking pole or you're stationary and glassing for a while, I know you're not doing that all day. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Like no, you're still going to get up, you're going to yeah. move, you're going to cover country. So I use different. a mule. Yeah, it's yeah. different for the guys who are literally spending hours and hours and hours behind glass.
1: For sure. Yeah, there's no doubt.
0: So this next question, Cody, I really appreciate it. It's from somebody who uh, is a more experienced elk hunter, but they're bringing somebody new along with them on their hunt this year. And they basically were asking for some advice on how to do that and really how to help this newer hunter that they're bringing kind of catch the, I think he mentions the phrase, catch the elk bug. So here's this question.
1: Hi, my name is Will, and I'm, my question involves bringing someone new into elk archery hunting. They don't want to buy a tag this year, but would like to experience the elk woods. What would be the best way to keep them engaged without overwhelming them on their first trip? I want them to get the elk bug. Thanks.
0: All right. I love this question because obviously somebody's taking the time to bring someone less experienced out there, they want them to have a good experience um i just think it's a cool a cool unique scenario and i love the fact that this guy's going and doesn't have a tag like whoever this newer hunter is he's going to learn and he's not like having the pressure of trying to fill a tag which is neat
1: yeah we we actually did this a couple of years ago with a guy named eric jackson um ejac that professional snowboarder that had like kind of a deri- it was derived from like the whole food movement and knowing where meat came from and like mm-hmm. you wanted to see what this was all hunting was all about and he came to montana with us and i'm like dude bring a gopro just so you can like document your excitement through this and have video clips of these memories i showed him what raking was i'm like okay like i was calling for Mm -hmm. kevin from first light and i'm like okay when i tell you to rake like just beat the crap out of this tree you know and you know and and like get him to be a an active participant just instead of like stand there don't move <laughs> right you know like don't mess this up exactly you know and 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 too it wasn't on the front line you know on the shooter's side where that could really deter like i mean anyways and we only had one elk encounter in a few days but it was like when that bull bugled like the, the whites of his eyes were just glaring and he's like oh my gosh and he got hooked yeah. bought a bow and killed a bull the next year like our buddy Johnny. Burford took him out and killed so his cool. first bull. And so I like the key part there is like, keep it fun. Um, give him a role, have him take a camera, like take as many photos. Like, so all those things to where he can look back and like relive it to where all of a sudden that fire is just like burning. So mm-hmm. that, that would be my suggestion on that is yeah. Just have him be part of the hunt, keep it fun. And, uh, yeah,
0: yeah, that's really good. I was thinking the same thing. You know, one thing I don't know from this guy's question is, is it just the two of them? So is it this experienced hunter who's just bringing this one guy who's newer, but obviously if it is just the two of them, there's potentially even a bigger role that this newer hunter can play. Like maybe he does get involved here with preseason and some time like, Hey, learn some of these basic calls, try this out. Yeah, you know, get him get a, a
1: soundbite in his hand and yeah,
0: exactly. get an external cow
1: call and, you know, here, you know, teach him through that. I love the fact that he's, like, trying to be a mentor. That's a huge, mm-hmm. huge inspiration for me is, like, people always ask, like, hey, I've never out of before. What should I do? I'm like, find somebody to take, you know, for you to go under their wing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's really cool that he's that guy helping somebody else out.
0: Yeah, I like it. This, uh, this next question, Cody, is super interesting. It comes from uh, a guy overseas, which sometimes it still blows my mind, like this question this guy from Australia. I'm like, people in Australia are listening to this podcast. But um, he had an interesting question. I just want to get right into it and hear your thoughts.
2: Hello, my name is Dwayne Froloff, and I'm a keen listener from Queensland, Australia. I think I've listened to every one of your podcasts and run a K2 5500. Mainly, hunting red deer, my question is: when does a bull elk become a raghorn, and when is he no longer a raghorn and just a good sized bull elk? Keep up the good work
0: all right, this is an interesting question to me, Cody, because there's all these phrases in the hunting world that get tossed around that don't necessarily have like definitions or definitive meanings right uh, right, and I think they mean different things to different people uh, and this is. One I've never thought of, but is a good example of that, perhaps. Uh maybe people mean different things by raghorn, but what does that mean to you? A raghorn bull?
1: Yeah, I mean a is gonna be a, a three point to four by five type bull. That's gonna be a two and a half to three and a half. I mean, really those two years is, you know, where I, I see them being a rag bull. And then it's like the first even a first year five point, especially like on a Rocky Mountain, could still be considered a rag. So it's just it's that teen adolescent, you know, almost 21, knocking on the door type um, where it's not a herd bull, right? It's not a, a mature six point or even a mature five point type deal. Um yeah. so yeah, it's it's that younger feeling as oats, adolescent bull.
0: Do you have any? I'm sure pretty much everybody would love to, but do you have any serious ambitions about going to Australia yourself and hunting or any specific species?
1: The only thing about Australia that scares me is there's a lot of things that can kill me. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> like the creepy crawlies?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like New Zealand definitely is more in my, my realm if I'm going to go down under type area. But yeah, yeah Australia is wild. Like, I, I think it would be kind of cool just to see the whole outback and what that's all about. And yeah. Hunting in shorts. And <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so... This next question is essentially about crossover tactics, um, for guys who don't have opening experience, but do have hunting experience back in the Midwest or out East, uh, primarily with deer hunting, but let's get into this question.
1: Hi, my name is Daniel Belcher and I'm from Johnson city, Tennessee, in the uh, foothills of the Southern Appalachians. And as somebody who wants to go out West and hunt. I would like you guys to talk about what techniques, uh, equipment, tactics uh, that would serve you know, a hunter well out west translate into hunting in the eastern mountains. We don't have as uh, large of a tract of land to roam, but there's still some good backcountry areas you can get into. So you know, what things can we do here that will uh, will help prepare us for, uh, for a hunt out west and also give us an edge over people that may not uh, look into those tactics as much? Thank you.
0: All right. So he mentioned techniques, equipment, tactics. Uh, we can cover any of those or all of those, but what comes to mind first for you?
1: First, honestly, uh, a very seasoned turkey hunter, in my opinion, that hunts out East, especially in the Appalachians, because I had experience in there this year, hunting in Kentucky, West Virginia and Ohio um, correlates to, I mean, very similar style of hunting for elk, mm-hmm. um, where it's Hiking ridge tops, covering the ground, trying to locate, figuring out setup. The only factor that's different is the wind, but a lot of times, like literally, the setup is a same kind of approach and how we set up on the terrain, trying to call, kill a gobbler of how I'd set up on a bull elk that bugles. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's where I would say some of the whitetail tactics. It's like you're trying to intercept those deer. Where for me, elk hunting is like I'm trying to go to wherever that animal is and pick a fight and call them in. So, um, or you know, uh, not not pick a fight, but be a cow and yeah. coax them in that way. Um, so I would say if, if you're a turkey hunter out out east, you have a, a leg up on someone that has never elk hunted before and never turkey hunted before. Because if you if you do that run and gun style turkey hunting, you can go out there and kill an elk. Um, I, th- I think that's the closest. Um, and, and then there's other ways, like if you are a tree stand hunter, if you can find an area where a bull's using, um, whether it's a crossing in a saddle or on a wallow, like if you're patience and that's your key to success in whitetail woods, it can, you can definitely come out west and kill a bull that way.
0: Yeah, that's under underutilized for sure, that there are some western opportunities where tree stands, saddle setups and sitting in ambush like it doesn't get you know much attention but it is valid in some instances in some places
1: one uh one of the guys that i uh, looked up to as a kid he was a, my high school drafting teacher every year he kills a bull out of a tree stand and ran into him the other day and he's got a bunch of cameras up and he's ready for opening morning and usually it's in like the first three days of the season he's got a bull killed
0: yeah i think that's what's hard about it is the guy coming from the midwest or out east is to tree stand hunt for elk most effectively you do need to have boots on the ground scout cameras et cetera. right it's gonna be hard to be like yeah i'm gonna go from you know this guy in tennessee to colorado and throw up a tree stand and kill an elk
1: absolutely yeah it's like you pretty much have to have a year of covering the ground and Mm -hmm. just exploring to figure out where and how that could and maybe it's multiple years but um gear wise uh the one thing you know i mean if you are in the appalachian regions and you can backpack like just even summertime backpack get used to carrying a pack weight covering the ground setting up a new camp every night like that's a good good practice uh to get you prepped for for coming out and some of that ground is like steeper than most of the elk country we hunt you know that stuff in west virginia i mean it's not big it's like three to 400 foot elevation, but it's as steep as it gets.
0: Um, That's cool. Yeah. That's, you know, my own experience being a Midwest guy and then eventually getting out West to begin to hunt elk. Um, That was the turkey hunting stuff was what helped me the most. And I was never even, I never spent too much time turkey hunting, but I intentionally started turkey hunting with elk hunting in mind, meaning, I wanted to get out of the blind and be less reliant on decoys and stuff like that. And start, like you said, the run and gun yep. approach. So yep. start covering ground, start, you know, casting some calls and then working in and balancing, you know, patience and aggressiveness and setups and all that. Because if I, I think and I learned this too, but only relying on what was primarily whitetail deer hunting experience. I, I realized that my first few years of elk hunting, I was just too cautious. Right. Like, Whitetails are just so spooky. Um, where I hunt, I'm not used to being able to move at all without making noise on like dried leaves or something like that. And so I just I realized that I just froze too much. I didn't move enough. I didn't make those final movements to get into a shooting position or just be aggressive enough. And that was just my white tail brain. Um, and then getting out and chasing turkeys and being much more aggressive was both fun and frustrating, but it definitely, I think, helped yeah. me uh, with elk hunting. But
1: There's a fine balance. Sometimes you get like hunting with speck, you got to put a leash on and be like, dude, you can't run right now. <laughs> right. You know? yeah, but yeah. yeah, you have to, yeah, I think, and especially I could only imagine, I mean, I had the fortune of uh, growing up literally elk close here, like mm-hmm. after work, you can hunt every single day and you're, so you're in and around the elk woods it would the scale of coming out west from hunting there is where things get it's intimidating like i couldn't imagine rolling into the rockies um you know and like in colorado and be like holy cow this is all public this is i can go anywhere where do i start like and then the fear of getting lost or any like those types of things it's just it's big in comparison so um i think you. My, my biggest thing that I always tell people is like the fear of failure is holding them back from just going out and doing it and experiencing it the first time. Cause they're like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Oh, I don't want to, it's tough. It's like, it's a lot of money. It's gas tags, all that. But you just have to go that very first time. And then you're like hooked, you know?
0: Yeah. This guy, just to touch on it quick, you mentioned equipment gear and honestly, I think it's way simpler than a lot of guys realize um, coming from out east or midwest and the big thing i would say is this depends on the logistics of your hunt meaning are you going to backpack hunt primarily or not because you don't have to have very much gear Um, if you're already a hunter you don't have to add to that too much to hunt out west if you're not backpacking so if you're doing you know a truck camp or some sort of base camp and kind of going out for the day you really just don't need a ton like yeah you can make some upgrades you obviously boots and selfishly, we say packs is going to be really important. Like those two things, but you know, if you're still rocking some real tree out in the tree stand or something like that, you can totally get away with it. It just, it complicates it more the further you get out and then the longer you're staying out. Right.
1: Correct. Yeah. I think you're spot on. I mean, for the most part, a guy that is an avid whitetail hunter could come out West with everything he currently owns Mm -hmm. sleep in the back of his truck you know with a walmart bag and like i I, like i said boots for one is is key because uh comfort putting in the miles that terrain's different and then a pack because you can't haul a cart you know for the most (laughs) part to where you're gonna you know i mean or drag a deer you know like you got to break it down in chunks and you Uh gotta have a pack that can carry the weight so
0: Um, Cool. This next question, Cody, is uh, about making the most of the midday when things are slow. Hi, XO guys. Uh, My question is, with all the time me and my family spend with your packs on on our back chasing elk or deer, um, during the middle of the day, in particular the hot uh, elk season, other than sleeping what are some good alternative things to do? I mean, uh oh, pinecone baseball or or should some guys bring books? If so, what kind of books or download videos? Um just kind of curious on what you guys do to break the monotony of when you're on a big long trip and you have a good 4 hours down by a creek to kill some time with a good buddy or, or a family member before you pursue on a hunt or up a mountain. All right. So I think I want to break this into kind of two separate <laughs> things, Cody. Number one, midday can be amazing. So we can talk about that elk hunting wise. And then, number uh, yeah, two, that's,
1: that's where I want to go. Yeah. yeah.
0: So let's talk about that. And then secondly, kind of getting more to his point when things are slow, what do we do? Uh, how do you kind of pass some time? But first don't overlook the midday.
1: Dude, it's honestly my like midday madness to me in the elk Woods. Like I would rather try to call a bull in at one o'clock in the afternoon than 8 a.m. or 6
0: p.m. So like, it, it just go deeper on that. Explain why. Yeah. Because this is a so, lesson I've learned over the years.
1: Yeah. So, so I mean, honestly, okay. Everyone's like, I want to hunt elk when they're up, they're moving, they're bugling, they're doing their thing. It's great. Like my favorite is locating them in the morning, following them to where they're going to bed letting them chill out, get settled down and then going into their bedroom and trying to get them killed. And especially bulls that's got cows midday is the point when the cows are all bedded. He knows they're safe. He knows where they're at. These like threats are minimal of uh, satellite bulls trying to come in, but he's protective of that or he's curious in that point. And so, um, yeah, my favorite, like I'd rather sleep in and hunt through the midday than, Get up at 4 a.m. and be done by 9 a.m. and then waiting till 5 p.m. to start hunting again. Um, so those, that's my how I pass time during the middle of the day is is chasing, trying to find up. those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, is, is is trying to find that bedded bull. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's the one misconception, and I think that's coming from like. I don't know if this guy was from out east. Like the deer activity, if you're you're in an area. Um, and two, this is good for wallows, like that midday when those cows are settled, like most of the time those bulls visit those wallows in the heat of the afternoon, you know, one, two o'clock. Um, so it's a good time to still be, be out after them. But, um, like if their experience is deer hunting, yeah, you're, the morning and the evenings are the best time because they're <laughs> up moving around if you're set up to ambush them. But mm-hmm. for elk, man, it, midday madness is, can, can be good.
0: Definitely a lesson I learned the hard way is elk can be most vocal and most visible in the morning, but almost hardest to kill because Absolutely. they're often, they're, they're wanting to move. And so you're not typically necessarily going to like pull them off of that, right? So just an example of mistakes I've made in the past is like, oh, bulls bugling here. And not realizing where he's headed and what his pattern is and how he's trying to push his cows to get to a bedding area, I was like trying to call him in, essentially opposite of exactly yep. what he wants to do, and he just wouldn't cooperate. Yep. I didn't realize what was happening in the moment. Like he's like, "Oh, that bull's just not callable," and it's like, "No, I probably should have like stayed on him, dogged him, not called him, done what you said, been patient, get to that bedding area, let things settle down, then make a play."
1: Absolutely, yeah, the biggest thing is staying within earshot in that morning time, and there and I don't know how many times like every time I call the bull's just pushing his cows away, well, no, that lead cow's going to bed like mm-hmm. she's 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 out in front of the herd, she's headed to bed, and that bull's straggling along the back end of that, you know, chasing cows, doing his thing, doing blow up things, and uh he's he's bugling, but he's not most of the time it's not like he's pushing away from the threat he's he's following the lead cow headed to bed and doing that whole gig so um yeah
0: cool uh to get to the second part of that downtime what do you do to break hey here's a gap it's hot it's quiet whatever and besides you know napping eating often you're in a group so you're probably just having a bunch of fun anyway but yeah
1: exactly like we we talk about like the slow play side of things and this is where okay, that bull's going to bed. We know exactly where he's going. We're going to sit here, wait for a lot of times it's waiting for the wind to change. And it, and it is, it's like, all right, I am tired. I'm going to take a nap. You know, um, every once in a while I'll have like solitaire on my phone and play solitaire or something like that. Um, definitely have played rounds of pine cone baseball with the bugle tube, bomb it, you know, um, but that that's kind of, and we just sit there and chit chat, you know, honestly, a lot of times that's some of the best memories we've had is some of the stories that have been told and jokes played on doing, mm-hmm. doing whatever, see how many rocks we can get in transpack, And so
0: <laughs> I like it. All right. Let's wrap up with this. Uh, one of the most general and somewhat hardest questions to answer, but still just want to get a quick take from you.
2: What is the best advice you have for a first time elk hunter who's packing in during archery season? Thank you.
0: Again, we could talk for hours, hardest question and answer, but what's the first thing that comes to mind?
1: Um, set a goal, you know, I think is number one. If it's, if you've never done that before, like don't say I'm going in for 10 days and take everything in the kitchen sink. Like if you've never backpacked on it before, okay, I'm going to go in for a couple nights, especially if you're solo, like if you've never done a solo overnight trip, like don't, you got to set those like mini milestone goals. So you feel good about what you, 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 did, you, you know, and I think a lot of people set these huge overarching goals and it's so intimidating. Like they trip up before they even start because yeah. it's like, I can't do that. Um, I think know your limitations is the other one. You know, if, if you haven't, put in the time and energy to get prepared, you know, know that that limitation is set, you know, whether it's a radius from your truck or whatever it is, like to have that in mind. Um, and then just have the goal of like, I'm going to go do this and have fun at going to do this.
0: Yeah. I love that. Great answer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so elk week this week, again, we talked about that up front, but again, just remind guys check out the links in the show description, uh, also, there's a link down there to leave us a message for your questions you have for future episodes. Uh, but before I let you go, Cody, what is the plan for the fall? What's the lane to the free looking like? And what's to come from Born and Raised Outdoors later this year?
1: Good stuff, man. Um, I'm excited. We get a, we get an opportunity to get back on mountain bikes, straight up pedal bikes with trailers. Um, Trent and Trevor have a couple really cool tags here in Oregon. So we're going to spend some time doing that. We'll be in the uh, Roosevelt Woods, the first part of the season, chasing uh, chasing some elk. And then uh, Eric drew a premium tag here in, in Oregon. So nice. we'll be be doing that. And then to finish out September, I don't know if you're coming on this trip or not, but Steve and I... be in idaho
0: i will unfortunately Uh, have to go to alaska to hunt mountain goat during that time oh
1: yeah yeah. (laughs) i'll I'll let you i'll let you get the pass on that we'll be doing a backpack trip in idaho to finish out september um and then we switch into october trent and trevor have some rifle tags in idaho for elk and then the last week of october we'll be back over there for mule deer then Trent's got a Colorado. Trent, Steve, and Eric have Colorado third season tags that they're going to chase deer with. So awesome. it's it's busy. And then we've got Oregon blacktail here in October as well. So um, yeah, it's a fun season. I'm I kept telling myself I'm not going to do five you know five weeks straight, and I'm doing like five and a half <laughs> weeks straight again this year. So it's like <laughs> it's it's part of the part of the deal. It's it's a tough being gone from the family that long especially as the kids are getting older and my yeah. it tears me apart as my daughter is like dad is this a long trip again and it's uh-huh. like ah you know the, the time when they were two you know times no not, idea. A, not a thing yeah and when they're seven and five it's like those days wear on so um tough to be gone but it's man you only get so many septembers so yeah. you got to maximize it
0: cool well thanks for making this happen last minute man it was uh truly like hey can you hop on here very shortly and do this so i appreciate it no i'm
1: i'm pumped i appreciate the uh, the invite um i i always enjoy talking with you guys and um yeah we'll, we'll give steve a pass since he's doing family stuff this week in hawaii but, just one pass know, yeah one pass